0: The worst way to try to make something is with no rules. You need the parameters to know how to push as far as you can up against that. You need the canvas for the painting. You need to define what the playground is. And that's the thing that lets you go all the way up to the edges of it.
1: Most of us have two lives. The life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect, and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome we'll to you. The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about... That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. Welcome to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor. I'm here with my good friend and all things audio and production, Jay Kirkpatrick. Hello. How are you, Jay? I'm great. Today, we, uh, we're opening up this next leg of our podcast by talking to composer Nathan Johnson. Have you seen Knives Out? I have, yes. Great movie. It is a great movie, and, and uh, Nathan's work in the film, in particular, bolsters Ryan Johnson's work, who's actually his cousin, uh, really well. If uh, if you're into uh, film soundtracks, you may know Nathan's work as sort of an avant-garde composer from films like Brick or Looper, um, in which he takes like field objects and makes his own instruments out of them. At, at one point, he told me they were thinking about pushing televisions off of warehouse roofs <laughs> and recording them just to see what they could do. Um, but the thing today's episode and 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 you'll hear this in a little bit in our conversation um Nathan operates on a whole other level that I have a hard time relating to which is he loves learning new things like 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 there's no like that show fear factor he could have been a contestant on that like there's just no fear for him to try new things engage in new ways I, I don't know if you work that way but I'm I'm kind of No the
0: no I mean uh you know Listening as I'm editing the interview, just him talk about how he. It's kind of like a kid in a sandbox. He. It's in every sandbox. Yeah. He jumps into different sandboxes, and he makes different things out of what's in it. It doesn't matter what's in it. And it's it's really interesting to hear him talk about his creative process because, in some ways, at that level, it's it's rare to find someone that's able to do that well and be trusted to do that well. And so it, it was pretty amazing to hear him talk about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for the conversation. You're going to love it. Uh, you may not relate to it at all, but you'll find it challenging and inspiring to actually not just kind of sort of dip your toe in the water. Now
0: you know, Matt. Not everybody is like you, where they have to have everything planned out. <laughs> there are many people who are relate.
1: To oh, well, maybe I don't <laughs> having know.
0: No idea what to do I, and just figuring it out as you
1: go. <laughs> hey, look, I don't work that <laughs> like way. Me. It takes me forever. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I found it very challenging and also very inspiring. And I wished I could be more like Nathan. So let's just go right in. Here's our conversation with Nathan Johnson. Nathan, how are you today? Good. Nice to uh, talk with you, Matt. Uh, Just saw the movie. I I mean, the movie's thrilling, and it's just such a fun cinematic experience. And then it's been so great to see that kind of excellent work gaining such... Traction. Uh, it seems both critically and, and commercially. Are you, are you feeling that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I remember. Um,
0: well, I mean, from the point I read the script, I was so excited about it. But even seeing an early test screening, um, it, it was really excited to see. Uh, yeah, just to see the way that audiences were starting to react to it. So, yeah, it feels uh, it feels amazing to see to see everyone you know, loving it so much.
1: Nathan, I'm sure we'll get back to Knives Out, obviously, and and some other work. I want to begin where we begin each episode, and that is with our source material, if you will. It's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. Nathan for you, I'm curious what like what form does that resistance take on for you or does that statement even feel true to you and and, and how do you wrestle with that?
0: I think that is the great uh, challenge of anyone trying to uh, trying to make something in the artistic world. Uh, I mean I, I you know we in in a Western culture we we grow up um, and and I certainly remember, Growing up, you know, getting summer jobs and, <laughs> and, um and those summer jobs, not, not anywhere near aligning with anything I was interested <laughs> in. Um, and I remember when I was like, just out of high school, I, I remember thinking like, there must be some way to get a job that, that also is, you know, involves doing something that, uh, that I, that I enjoy my cousin, Ryan, who who obviously directed knives out but he and i and all of our cousins sort of grew up as kids spending all of our free time making movies and music and and that was uh i i, I yeah i i do remember really clearly th- thinking around that time is there a way to uh to get a job that <laughs> that that, in, that involves the stuff that I also love doing all day every day, but I think I think I think it does uh, it, definitely. There's like an element of um, we all grew up in a, in a family where um, you know I, I know that our grandparents and our parents all loved the arts, but that that was not their vocation. And so I think that even even just at a, I mean I know I think we'll probably talk philosophically about the idea of the resistance, but maybe a a helpful <laughs> a helpful starting place to uh, to to just admit is that um, if we haven't grown up with families in in the arts that that first very practical step is is really hard to figure out how how do you even how do you even start to you know s- structure a life that allows you to do this
1: that's really interesting to me that you're asked about resistance in the present on a general level and for you there's already a differentiation it, it, like it sounds like immediately you go well i'm i'm assuming there's general resistance for people who we all f- feel it but there's extra for people who didn't grow up like i did with an encouragement and totally. support system and and that you're so cognizant of that.
0: Yeah, well, it's one of the things that I I I just feel like it's it's um it's not a very helpful thing to hear somebody say just go do it. <laughs> and 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 not take into consideration like all the help that I've had mm-hmm. in in setting up a, a a starting platform to to take that leap. Oh yeah, but I do think I, I, so. So that for me, I think is the ground level of just feeling like really, really thankful for the belief and the encouragement for, from from my family and friends that have kind of set up the the ability to to take a jump. And and I do feel like you know even even for me with that support, it it feels like there there are key moments in my life where it was taking a jump where it felt like it was jumping off a cliff and not knowing where I was going to land. However, I, I think part of what helps me take that jump is, is knowing that there's a safety net and I never want to pretend like that's not Mm -hmm. there because I think that's unhelpful for people who may feel like they don't have a safety net.
1: Mm. What feels like a jump to you these days, so now we get in, now we get into the philosophical well, part <laughs> i mean, I mean uh, um I mean I certainly hear what you're saying on on the background I think that's I think that's very important i, I think it's I think it's it's easy for a talking head motivational speaker or someone who's like to just stand up there and, and give you this you know this this advice that worked for them you know when they were like if someone's born on third base to like to tell you how totally. to get home is is a different journey than when you're up at the plate with 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 yeah with the count already against you totally so so I get that, but I did want to flip forward a bit because you know earlier you know you said you're in the middle of doing press for knives out right now, you're talking about the successful film that's come after other successful films, and here's this endeavor I'm assuming is going to lead you to other successful avenues uh, just as one thing kind of leads you to the next, and so I guess I wonder you know you called it the jump earlier like it's still the jump yeah even if you have support or not and i wonder now what is the jump or does it feel does it feel less like a leap or are there some aspects of creating or or even personally just that distance that we said like the distance between who you are now maybe even personally and who you want to be whatever that is what feels like that jump for you today is it cool if i
0: jump up to the first movie i did rather than jumping immediately you can do whatever you want yeah i was i was living in england had just finished this uh this band project and my cousin ryan had just finished shooting brick you know for those who haven't seen brick it's it's a super low budget really smart but super weird movie so he um he kind of hit me up and he was like hey do you want to and although I had grown up, you know, making music my whole life and making movies my whole life, I'd, I kind of never thought before that point to combine them together. Mm-hmm. But basically, my default is like, I'll do anything with Ryan. And I feel that way about my close collaborators. My, my core thing is like, let's make cool mm-hmm. stuff. And so when he asked me that, I, I, was, I was like, yeah, of course. and And jumped, not knowing anything about what I was doing. And I've, I feel like a, a really key part of that jump and what feels like that is saying yes to things that you don't know how to do. And this is like this is this concept that I talk a lot about with uh, with my brother who who ha- who runs this this firm called the Maid Shop, which is kind of a graphic design architectural firm. And the idea that 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 we've talked a lot about is clearly we all have this fear of not knowing how to do something or i guess to drill down further the fear is uh maybe looking stupid or doing something and not having it turn out well because we because we don't know what we're doing and for me i think that getting comfortable with that feeling is key to making art almost at a definitional level because because definitionally if you if you are doing something new that means you've never done it before. And as a result, you don't know how to do it. And I, and I think for me, there's always a fear in that moment when you jump into doing something you've never done before, but I've spent a lot of time and in, in my life practicing making those jumps. So I, so I've gotten used to the feeling of that uh, uncomfortableness that comes with not knowing how to do something. But the, the, the alternative is to keep doing the, you know, if, if we're trying to only do things we know how to do by definition, we'll keep doing the same thing over and over again.
1: Are you, are you committed to those? I mean, do you find yourself sort of motivated to continue to explore these new things um, like by personality trait? I guess so. I, yeah, I think that's probably a, a
0: good question, but I do just personally, I love, I love the discovery of, of new things. You know what I mean? And I think we're all wired differently. Like I, I remember um, talking with a friend of mine and, and just kind of realizing that his, his whole engine that drives him has to do with exploring and then bringing it back to a few people. Mm and sharing that. And, and I think for me, part of the way that I'm wired is, uh, I mean, I love puzzles. I, I love games. I love kind of figuring out new, new ways, uh, to do things and, and like figuring out for the first time, how to do something that I, that I haven't ever done before. But also I think, I think like to back that up, that it's those types of things are also the types of creation and art that I really enjoy mm. I love playing around with imperfection and I guess part of me has has gotten comfortable with with the idea that things things don't have to be perfect and in fact sometimes are better when they're not perfect to to be shared with other people mm.
1: but my mind goes to what I know about your work on the film looper uh, when we're talking about this in terms of doing things in new ways and and maybe not being afraid of that because that was quite a departure maybe from what people would normally think in terms of scoring a film would involve, correct? Yeah. Can, you, can you define that, by the way, like
0: for those who don't know? I mean, so what we did with Looper, like I remember at the beginning of that project, and this is also, to be honest, kind of marks the beginning of every project that I do with Ryan. We We kind of... Jump into a whole new sandbox, mm. and and these conversations happen where where he just starts talking about maybe references that he's connecting with a story that he just wrote. But for 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 Looper, I remember he was he was like, "What if we like go into warehouses and push TVs off the roof, <laughs> or what if what if the whole what if the whole score is one chord, you know?" And I'm like, uh. Okay. I don't know how, I don't know how, like, you know, but it par- partly excited. But when it, when he says, what if the whole score is one chord? I'm like, I don't know how that is a thing. You know, and we didn't end up doing that. But what we did do is uh, we ended up creating basically like an atmospheric sound design score. So my really good friend, Ryan Lott, who's in SunLux, he's been a longtime collaborator. And one of the things that he does is he, he builds like sample based instruments out of, out of found sounds and, uh, you know, or samples. So he basically, I brought him on board and he kind of taught me his whole process of how to like build these software instruments. And, uh, and so what I did, then what I did is I just moved down to new Orleans where they were shooting the movie. And I took a field recorder and spent a month wandering around the city recording the sound of, industrial fans or water flowing or doors closing or you know the the treadmill in in my <laughs> hotel and then and then basically brought this whole library back and and uh and we built these we we turned these sounds into playable atmospheric instruments that that also could be played melod- melodically you know so this the score for looper is essentially you know there are some real instruments as well but a lot of it is is these these custom field recordings turned into playable instruments there's not a lot of melodic stuff in in that movie it's basically one theme that that kind of repeats and and evolves over the whole over the whole movie
1: you said you and Ryan jump into a new sandbox every time so what's the sandbox for knives out
0: So for Knives Out, we were listening to, um, you know, a lot of the the scores that we love from like the late 50s, early 60s. And these are now, as opposed to Looper, these are like super melodic um, motif-based themes. And we knew we wanted to do like a big orchestra. I mean, actually, so Ryan told me the idea for Knives Out like 10 years ago, and I've been thinking about the way the, the movie was going to open and kind of playing around with these, these small chamber ideas. But as I talked with Ryan, he was like, well, the whole thing is basically like a parlor room mystery. And I think to play against that, we don't want to keep the score little and contained. We want to kind of blow the whole thing open and do just a big lush orchestral mm-hmm. score. But at the same time, we, we want it to be sharp and cutting and precise so I wrote this quartet piece for the intro, but then we we kind of blow that open into a full orchestral yeah. score. That that was you know that was kind of the first time that I was that I was doing this big of a of a full score with everything together. We we got to record at Abbey Road, <laughs> so uh, you know this this sandbox is playing with a much bigger palette and and in a way definitely a much more traditional uh, approach. But but I think we're still sort of bringing interesting, you know, alternative ways of playing and I guess kind of just highlighting all the instruments so that it's like not just a blurry wash of sound, but we can hear every single voice and Mm. what they're doing. The
1: way that you described the music feels like an apt descriptor of of the script or of the movie, like sharp, precise these angles from every, like was that mirrored on purpose then?
0: For sure. Yeah. And Ryan kept saying like it, you know, I I remember like sketching up some early ideas and he was like, oh, it's too big and blurry and reverby. And so everything he, you know, he kept saying like, it it should be like a knife. It should be cutting like a knife. And every decision kind of flowed out of that from the way I was writing down to the room that we recorded in, you know, and we, so Abbey road is, the studio one there is this amazing room, but it doesn't have like a huge long reverb tail. And so we could be really precise in the way that we captured the music that I, that I had written. The other thing about Knives Out is like the script is phenomenal, but it's very wordy. It's these amazing performances, all these actors dancing around each other. And so the music has to be very scored to picture and it has to bob and weave and you know kind of kind of move but never step in step on the toes or get in the way of of anything that the actors mm-hmm. are doing
1: you've worked with ryan you know several times here what does permission look like within this relationship i i mean
0: ryan is really really great to to collaborate with and i think the way like this is just kind of crystallized in my mind recently but he um he knows exactly what he wants at a broad level, and he's really good about setting up the parameters of the sandbox that we're going to be playing in. But then, once we have once we have those sort of goalposts those those restrictions, he's just like surprise me, you know. And this is like a, an old principle in art: the worst way to try to make something is with no rules. You need the parameters to know how to push as far as you can up against that. You need the canvas for the painting. You need to define what the playground is. And that's the thing that lets you go all the way up to the edges of it. So that's really great with Ryan. But I think the other thing is when he says, no, this isn't it. In my mind, I'm not trying to write my masterpiece. I'm trying to tell his story. You know, I, I have other outlets for for expression for my ideas but this is really about how do i help him tell the story that he has in his head so in terms of this i really uh, you know it's it's deferring to ryan and it, you know that's not to say that there's not back and forth but i know that my job is to yeah. tell his story
1: is that vital for you to have those other outlets where after working on something like this or before you have other things with complete ownership
0: yeah, I think so. I think that again maybe is part of the way that I'm wired, but I I love writing. I love uh whether whether that's, you know, all all different kinds of writing, whether it's writing music or or writing stories or concepts or t- to to stretch the to stretch the different defini- the definition of that word <laughs> writing art. <laughs> um but it but yeah, those um for me that's that's really uh, a big part of who i
1: am so how do you figure out when press time for knives out is done or another such moment comes along how do you know what's next is is it a matter of sort of listening to some internal interest or energy is it is it a matter of commerce marketplace like hey whatever pays the bills next or i mean cuz you have these outlets so it makes me wonder how do you know where to be obedient with your talents I think uh
0: the 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 way that I've very purposefully set up my life is so that is to enable me to uh to take a job or take a project that connects with with my artistic interest first but I think there are maybe like a handful of of things and and I think where you get in trouble is if you if you're if you start start letting those get out of out of balance. And and so for me, I, I think the, the two at the top of, of the that list is the 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 story, the 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 material, like what I was talking about before. Like is this something that I'm excited about doing? Is this is this a movie I'd want to watch or is this, you know, if I'm if I'm like directing a music video, is this a, a song that I would love to listen to? And then the second thing is uh, is the collaborative aspect. Do I love the person who's making this or and do I enjoy working with them or or does this feel like somebody that I think I would really enjoy working with? And then and then the the commerce thing is is a very important thing, but I think the danger is that we can at times what what I'm trying to always protect is that that doesn't become the number one decision making thing you know that when i first came out to la i was working on the brothers bloom and i remember a composer like a seasoned composer gave me the best piece of advice he was like man when you come out here don't buy a massive house hold yourself back from doing that because if if you do that that will that mm-hmm. will be the master of uh, you you will have to say yes to everything that comes along to feed that but I don't know. I think uh, really what this is, is it comes down to like w- figuring out what's actually important for you. If what's actually important is having a nice house, then definitely take that stuff. But, and that's not a bad thing. But I think, I think if what is really important to you is community, then you want to set up your life so that you can say yes to the people that you love working with if what's really important to you is artistry, then you want to set up your life so that you can say yes to the thing that you're excited about. If what's really important to you is critical acclaim, you want to set up your life so you can say yes to the thing that you feel like is is going to be critically acclaimed. You know, whatever that thing is. But, uh, you know, I feel like we, and maybe this is just a Western thing, but it's definitely like a, a hiccup in our thinking. When we think of payment, we think that money is the only form of payment and it's just really, really helpful for my mind to realize that there are a lot of different mm. forms of payment and money is not necessarily always going to be the most important one. You know, and I, and I think those, those change depending on what you kind of need more of at a certain point. But, uh, there's a lot of other types of payment that, you know, that, that can be very, uh, very Hmm. lucrative
1: (laughs) i love that i love the reclamation of that word payment in in more than just economic or transactional terms but actually like using that to to say hey we're all paid in very different ways from from mental health to fulfillment to community and so on
0: yeah totally you know and that and i think again like kind of going back to where i started it's it's really helpful to keep in mind that that you have almost no money, then that is going to be a very important form of payment. But when, if you're if you're able to get to a place where you can pay your bills and you can buy enough food for yourself, if you can resist the urge to like scale up, then the amount of freedom that that brings is is mm-hmm. pretty phenomenal. And I, I remember, you know, when when people kind of ask me about like how do you break in, I, I think in a really practical sense. The answer has to do with keeping your expenses as low as possible. Right. So when when we're doing this this band project early on in, in my life or when I when I'm scoring brick, I you know, I had like a, a half time job that that brought in enough to kind of cover my basic expenses, but but at that point, my most valuable yeah. asset was time. And so it, it wasn't important for me to like be living in a, a, a really nice place or it wasn't even important for me to amass gear at that point. You know, I, like I, I record the whole score for brick on, on a power book with a single <laughs> microphone and all of this is sort of this, this instinctive balancing to, to, to enable this transition where you can kind of have a halftime job that allows you enough time because like we all know, like it's hard. It's so it's hard enough to like try to make something new, but if you're trying to make something new at the end of a full day of work, at least for me, I just, I just, I get done with a day of work and I, I'm, I I can't dive into something new. I, so I need to, I, it's so, so crucial for me to carve out enough time to, to just kind of marinate
1: in that. listening to the resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jake Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening.